Today's Texas High School Baseball Coach Association podcast features Skip Johnson, head coach of the University of Oklahoma. Widely regarded as one of the best pitching coaches in the country, Skip Johnson has led Oklahoma baseball programs since June 2017. Since taking over the reins after serving one year as a Sooners pitching coach, he has led the Sooners to a 71-48 and record in two seasons. The OU pitching staffs have posted progressively lower ERAs in each of the three seasons at OU. Sooners pitchers have posted two of the top five strikeout totals in program history. Eleven of his pitchers have gone into the Major League Draft over the past three years. Hey, there you are. I got you. All right. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hey, Skip. Thanks for, right. be- thanks for being on, man. You're, you're one of the guys that, uh, you know, your name comes up every year on uh, hoping you come and speak in, in Waco at our clinic and everything else. But, you know, hopefully this can be the next best thing. That'd be good. All right. So we'll, we'll start off with your background. I, I know some of it. I kind of looked at your bio and I didn't know uh, how tough of a road it was for you in college. But, you know, let's kind of go back to, you know, where are the different places that you played and, uh, of course, all the different schools that you've coached at? Well, I played at Ranger Junior College for two years under Coach Don Flowers. Then I went for a year to play at North Texas when they uh, – that was the last year they had a program and they dropped it. And then I went to play at Pan American for Coach Ogletree and Reggie Treadaway. And then uh, um, when I got done with that um, – could have signed with the Pirates, chose not to. I had 18 hours of school left and uh, as a free agent. And I chose not to, and I got the opportunity from Bob McElroy to coach at Navarro Junior College as an assistant coach. Was there for three years as assistant, then there as 13 years as a head coach. Left there and went to the University of Texas under Augie Garrido and uh, spent 10 years there and then came to when Coach Garrido resigned, um, came to the University of Oklahoma as a assistant coach. After one year, I got uh, moved to the row as a head coach, and this was my third season to be the head coach, uh, abbreviated season, I guess you'd say. Right. And and looking back on your your – playing career in college, uh, you know, having to bounce around to three different schools, how much of a, and you, you went to almost every region there was, how, how much of a shock was it coming from North Texas? Cause you went to high school in Denton, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. How much of a shock was it to go from uh, North Texas to uh, the Rio Grande Valley? I don't know. I don't know if it was a shock uh, um, as much as if anything, it was more, it was just about baseball for me and learning. Uh, it was a different, is a little bit different culture. It wasn't, you know, uh, everything was not as fast paced as more laid back. Uh, you know, I, I, I tribute to, you know, when I was in junior college as a, as a player at Ranger junior college, I think, you know, my high school coach taught me how to kind of love the game. My little league coach, my dad taught me kind of how to li- love the game. Then my junior college coach, taught me how to be tough in the game. And then I went to North Texas and it taught me that baseball's, you know, it's there, but it's, it's not fair. It doesn't really care how you feel. They dropped the program. Yeah. I was under Phil Price there. He was really didn't, you know, didn't do much. Um, then I went to Pan American and coach Ogletree 
taught me the patience in the game and what learning was was about. You know how to him and Reggie Treadaway, a big mentor of mine, what taught me the the patience and the teaching skill and what it takes to understand that. And then I got the opportunity to go to Navarro, and I was an assistant. The first uh, semester, I was by myself. So the next two or two and a half, three years after Coach Thomas was the head coach, I got to do everything, you right. know. So it kind of taught me the, uh, you know, the, the failures and the successes on stuff that I was trying to teach going from, you know, the defensive side of the ball to the offensive side of the ball to the pitching side of the ball. And then when I got to be the head coach, you know, that was kind of already established uh, what I was going to kind of start teaching and how, how I was teaching. And uh, then I got to go to Texas and I really thought I knew what I was doing when I went to Texas <laughs> and I, hell, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, right. it wasn't, it wasn't a bad, it was, you know, the, the expectation was to win every game. I didn't right. under, ever understand that. I was more of a teacher in development. And I think the, I think the, the good Lord uh, blessed me and taught me a, a good lesson and to really showed me why I was at University of Texas under Coach Garrido. It taught me about the environment, how to perform in the environment that the kids go through day in and day out. Because a lot of us lose sight of that. We expect them to do stuff, and it's more about the environment and what they're going through, what their heartbeat is in that environment, in that pressure situation, because there's a lot of failure in it. And so – I learned that, and then I went. Then I went to OU. It was kind of a a, a shocking deal that uh, I didn't realize how much Coach Garrido taught me right. the details he taught me in that until I got to the University of Oklahoma, and it was like guy hit me with a right hook, you know, like wow, I can't believe. I mean, I learned that much at the University of Texas under Augie Garrido, and. Uh, um, you know, I, I asked Coach Al when I went to Texas. I wonder where he when I went to when I went to Navarro, and then I went to Texas. I asked Coach Al that you know I wonder where his number to carry on his legacy. You know, uh, and and when Coach Garrido left, I wanted to carry on what he taught me. You know, the game one pitch at a time, and I wanted to kind of keep carrying that on because he was the best college baseball coach to ever put a uniform on. Right. There's no doubt, and and you know I was I was lucky enough to see you play. Uh, of course, uh, we were teammates at Pan Am, and uh, you know you weren't the most imposing uh, physical uh, specimen <laughs> out there. But I, you know, and and anytime anybody's ever heard you talk, you can you can really tell the type of passion you had, and of course you were just a fierce competitor, man. I. You know, I know guys many times were like, hey, I, you know, I'm going to tear this kid up on the mound. But once once that game started and once they saw what you were made of, it was a whole different story. And I, I know you've carried that on to coaching uh, and you kind of talked about it a little bit. But what you know, what's a short snapshot of really why you got into coaching? Well, I got into coaching to change people's lives right. I mean, and, and build relationships. This program, the program I had at Navarro was built around love and relationships. And, uh, and that's really what it's been about. I mean, as I've gone through it, not only the guys that I work with that are in the big leagues, all the ex-players I've had, I, I'm not any good 
without that relationship I built with all those ex-players. Those guys made me good. Teammates like you made me good. You know, I mean, I to me, I think you pitch with your head and your heart and what's in between your legs. And right. so uh, <laughs> it was uh, it's uh, it's it's a guy that's not going to give in to any situation. You know, I've always said in a snapshot, I've always said it's a guy that's willing to fail that doesn't care about failing ends up succeeding. He's not afraid to throw the ball down the middle of the plate. He's not afraid to stand in there and battle with two strikes or a battle it bat out or make sure he's attentive on pitch to pitch. It's that guy that's able to fail that succeeds. Right. He, he, ha- he has the guts to fail that succeeds. And uh, um, I think I'm living proof of what those relationships are and the reason why I'm here. And right. And, and even back then, even, you know, of course we wouldn't have told you anything back then, but uh, I kind of always felt that you were going to be a coach, you know, kind of a leader and things like that. You went about things a different way. You went about things the right way most of the time, which, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't give you credit for that back then, but, you know, really looking back at it, you know, you were, uh, you, you kind of had your, your head in the right spot and and you were, you already knew what you were going to do. You know, so what are some of the, the qualities or attributes you think that have made you a successful coach? Well, I mean, when I I appreciate that, Bart, I really do. It means a lot to me because when I went to, when I went to Pan American, I wanted to win and I, and I knew what the tradition of the place was. And because there's guys that I've seen that I grew up playing summer ball that went there and, you know, you read all the stuff that was what Pan American was about and, and alumni. And so it was important to me, when I stepped in there to be a leader, to, to, to try to get, get everybody around me to try to do, had the same passion I had. And if they didn't, then I would say something to them about it. Yeah. Because I was going to try to, I was going to try to do the right thing and the right thing, whether it's right or wrong, I was going to try to do the right thing. It wasn't a selfish thing. It was more, Hey man, let's do this the right way. And, and, and it, and the, and the game's going to give us back what we put into it. If we go out there and, and dog it, and, and, and then we're not going to get anything out of it. We got to, you know, I, I, I walked in there the first day. I'll never forget it. I was two weeks late to, to Pan Am. I was in the, uh, I was in the um, uh, Stam Usual World Series in, in 1988, and, and I walk in there, and, and uh, <laughs> I didn't know what to think of it. I was sitting out there shagging balls and talking a little bit to the other guys, kind of getting everybody know everybody, and Coach uh, – um, Treadaway come up there and he asked me, he says, uh, do you want to c- become a pitching coach? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to become a pitching coach one day. He said, We're, this is the time to learn how to be a, be, a, be a pitching coach, but you better learn how to teach people how to hit first. Sit around me, watch everything I do, and try to, tr- and try to make it in a, in, a, in, a, in a pitching. And so that's what I did. And so, uh, you know, there's philosophies I have in pitching that were – almost identical to what Reggie taught me. Right. And that make that makes a lot of sense. And and you know, us being kind of young and crazy which I, you know, I'm sure you remember some of that. Uh you know, we just weren't smart enough to listen to you uh a lot of times and like I said, but but uh you kind of grew on us and and we definitely enjoyed having you around and everything else, but we knew that you meant business and you were there and like you just said, uh you know, you were there to win. So you know, what, what's, what's some advice you would give to a coach that's just starting out and really kind of 
maybe maybe focus it more towards a guy that wants to get into college coaching because I know it's a it's really you know talking to Eric Gutierrez it's a tough process. Yeah, I mean you look at you look at uh, uh, the deal. I mean the very first thing I'm always going to tell a guy is show a kid how much you care before you show him how much you know. Right. No no one really wants to know how much you know till you till they see how much you care about them, and that's when you're going to really then have your go set on what you, whatever your standard that you have, you know, um, like, you know, we have a, we have a deal called compete hashtag compete. And the C means a championship standard. The plate, you know, I think coach Salinas, or I don't have to say his last name, but you know, wide in the plate, the guy can't throw strikes. They're not going to take a 24 inch plate out there. Right. So it's the same thing with the same thing with rules. It doesn't matter. Discipline Discipline is the intent to do the right thing, even though it's uncomfortable. And so you've got to make sure that you're sticking by what you do discipline wise. And you got to treat everybody differently, but the same, be consistent with what you're trying to teach. And sometimes that, sometimes it's not, it's difficult to do that, but you've got to make sure you're consistent with that. And to get into college baseball is you have to be patient. You've got to keep doing the things knowing that you're doing the right thing, you got to have self confidence in what you do. You know, I, I've always thought it was kind of crazy. Why are we having coaches' conventions in January? Well, you learn a lot from other coaches, then all of a sudden you're fixing to start playing the season and you're going to change some of the things you did in the fall, right? You know, so you've got to really stand by what you do. You can take bits and pieces and polish during that competitive season because your spring is a competitive season. Your summer is – it's like a off-season, but it's also a conditioning season for the fall. Your your fall and early spring is an evaluation season. And see, like I think there's four seasons. You know, you have your conditioning season, your evaluation season, your competitive season, and your off-season. And to be a pitcher – you know, I've always hear, you know, I hear it all the time, man. Just shut him down. Well, you don't completely shut a guy down. Right. It's like Clayton Kershaw. We had, I, I was talking to Clayton over the, the fall. He never really stopped throwing. He just played catch. We're not talking about going out and throwing bullpens and long toss. He just played catch with no exertion to keep his arm going. And uh, it, it's a skill set. There's a lot of failure in baseball, and it's a skill set that you're trying to master, which you will never master. You know, that's the thing. You want to try to master it, you'll never master it. But you try to be the best you can be on that day with that one pitch. Right. All right. And and without throwing either state under the bus, uh, you know, being from Texas and now coaching Oklahoma, what are some of the differences you see between uh, the two states baseball-wise? There's more guys in Texas. <laughs> That's the difference. They're the same. They're the same player. Okay. They're tough. They're tough. They're competitive. Both states are a football-driven state. Most of the, most of those guys that are two-way guys are tough. They they can take a a, a butt chewing. Um, uh, they're very competitive. They all want to win. But is it always about winning? It's really about understanding the process, and. Uh, it's it, there's probably the only difference in both states is there's more in Texas than there is in some in some instances in in the state of Oklahoma they play year round baseball, 
If they don't have football, they play year-round baseball. They have a state championship in the fall and the spring. If I was to change anything, if 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 I could be, you know, a guy on the UIL board or, or wherever I was one day, I would try to get baseball in middle school. Right. Because it's such a difficult sport. We are losing. Yeah. We are losing the battle of the national pastime because we do not practice it in middle school. We're losing great players in middle school. And we're not talking – I guarantee you Major League Baseball would pay for baseballs, gloves, and bats in middle schools. They would if somebody just approached them to do it. And uh, you, you see all the great football programs around the state of Texas, you know, and they're teaching that offense in middle school. Right. You know, what's the difference in baseball? And baseball is a harder game to play because the failure rate is so much different. I mean, I had Kyler Murray, one of the best high school football quarterbacks ever in the state of Texas, and he went 0 for his first 12, and he looked at me like, man, what am, I'm hitting every ball on the button. I was like, that's the only thing you can control, Kyler, yeah. is hit the ball hard. But if he went 0 for 12 in football – you know, a passing that, that would never happen. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, yeah. We we added uh, we added junior high baseball uh, these last two years, and it's made a huge difference. We, and and really, what you have is you have some kids that have never played before. That now they at least have a chance once they get to high school. And then the other kids that have played, you know, their whole life, you know, those kids are ready to go first practice when when we start in high school. So it's it's made a big difference for us. I mean, look at the lower income. I mean, you, you look yeah. at lower income families. I mean, we our sport is a country club sport now. Yeah. yeah. And it's our fault. Right. And and that's what I was going to get to next. And this one wasn't one of the questions that I sent you, but I thought it was kind of important. Uh, you can answer it or not answer it. But as a college recruiter, do you find yourself being drawn to the select ball showcases more than, than ever and maybe less? from high school games uh, and, you know, if, if you are, you know, why do you see that happening? No, I, we, we're, we're not drawn to, uh, uh, to a select ball team. We're going to always talk to the high school coach. Right. Cause they're going to be around them. Um, ever, you know, a lot of people in select baseball, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's a great, it's a great time. It's a, it's a good deal where they're getting to play a lot more baseball. That's, that's great. But, a lot of times they're going to tell them all the good things. Yeah. They're actually paying to play. Right. Where in high school, sometimes you don't make the team, you, you get cut. Yeah. That's life, man. That's what you got to, that's what you have got to learn. So the, the game's not fair and it d- doesn't care how you feel. And so what you've got to do as you go through this deal, as a, as a recruiter, you got to find your kind of guy, what fits your program. He might be the, he might be the tool tooled up guy. But his attitude's bad. You see that body language on the field. I mean, it's it's it'll it'll hit you like a right hook when you walk out there and you pay attention to it. You see guys play hard. You see guys feel sorry for themselves because you're gonna you're gonna fail a lot in this game. And if you have bad body language and you feel sorry for yourself, you're doomed in this game. Right. Now, was it was there ever a time that you thought about coaching high school? Maybe that first year out of Pan Am things like that? Or did you already know, you know, this, this is the route I want to go? Well, my goal was to coach in college baseball. Okay. And my goal, really my goal was to, uh, after my two boys graduated was to, 
um, uh, go to uh, uh, professional baseball and, and really focus on the, the, the side of pitching in that. And, you know, I get the opportunity. I was never, I'll never forget as long as I live. Coach Garrido calls me on July the 4th and says, hey, I want to interview you. And he meet me on July the 6th. And July 4th was uh, uh, on a Saturday. Meet me on July the 6th. On Monday, I drove down to Austin. We drove around a little bit. He put me up in the Four Seasons Hotel. I've never been in a Four Seasons Hotel in my life. <laughs> I mean, I was a junior college coach, right? I was like one of the three stooges. I put every cream. Uh, every cream in that bathroom on before I went over to me, you know, I had powder on and I was like, I called my wife and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to do this. It, you know, I was at Navarro for 16 years. I love Corsicana. I didn't want to unroot my family. And so I go to the South end zone, the eyes of Texas start playing. I come in the South end of the football field and I'm like, you know, I better take, I better try to take this opportunity. Yeah. I go over there and take the opportunity. And my first two years, man, it was, it was hell. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. We give up, we, you know, we were rolling. We give up 31 runs at Missouri one night. And then the next, the head coach didn't say anything to me. <laughs> associate head coach didn't say anything to me. I was, I was looking out the window when it was snowing, you know, we're fixing to play on a Sunday. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, Lord, why, you know, why am I here? And, you know, we win the Sunday game and basically, uh, um, a guy that uh, I, a guy that was I played high school baseball with, a guy that uh, um, uh, uh, was an area scout at Navarro. His name's Steve Foster. He's now the pitching coach for the Colorado Rockies. He's a great friend. He said, "Man, I seen what happened last weekend. What you know? You okay?" And he go, "I go, yeah." And he goes, "I want you to read two books for me. And one's The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews, and the other one's God's Sacred Journey by David L. Cook." And I changed everything I did after that. Okay. If we're going to work on mechanics, we've got a 10-step drill step. If we're going to work on effort, rhythm, and timing in your mental game, I'll kind of put the string line up and we'll throw our bullpens. But the effort level has got to stay the same. And then if we're going to work on being competitive, I throw two guys against each other. And we throw four, four, four hitters, three pitch to hitter in one inning. Like me and you, Bart, we're throwing against each other. And we're just going to hit our targets. And I think a high school guy should be 14 to 16 square balls hitting his target. A college guy should be 9 to 12. A minor league guy should be 9. And a major league guy should be able to throw it in the six-ball area. Because the only thing you can control is throwing the ball to the target. Let's, right. say you go, let's say you go 10 to 12, Bart, and I go 9 to 12 in our one inning. 12 pitches, you know, facing four different hitters. I put Mo and Larry, those pitching dummies, in there with a string line, and uh, uh, and I sit back there, fastball down away, right hand hitter. You got to hit within that, you know, nine to twelve ball because you was a Division One player. And uh, uh, I give you a checker next. You go ten to twelve. I go nine to twelve. Well, you got two sprints. I've got three sprints, but I also lost that inning, so I got to double my sprints. So I'm trying to make it as game like as I can. Right. And, and if you do, if you go pitch to pitch, the only thing you can control is throwing the ball to the target. You can't control the outcome. All right. Now, 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 and we'll get into that into the practice and, and all that other stuff. Uh, yeah. But how, how much of an adjustment was it? And I don't know if it's going to be an adjustment for you because you had pretty much done everything at Navarro. But how much of an adjustment was it going from uh, being a pitching coach uh, to a head coach at a D one school? Well, one thing I did was uh, uh, I wanted to hire people around me that I trusted. 
and one of them was Clay Van Hook. He understood what I was about. He played for me at Navarro. Um, he played for me at Navarro. He played at the University of Texas, so he kind of knew Coach Garrido's system. And the next guy uh, was Clay Overcast that I'd known for, you know, 15 years because he was a uh, Chicago White Sox scout in the Midwest, and I would call him about players all the time. And I knew that I watched him in his area code teams and watched him coach. So I knew the process of who I was going to do. So what I would do, and I told him, I, in our first meeting, I walk out, I said, hey, man, my job is to go down here and get these pitchers ready. I'm going out the tunnel, talk to the team, go to the bullpen. And it will schedule practice around that. And uh, uh, it's it's been really a gr- great process. And we'll get into that practice stuff because we changed a lot of stuff we did in practice this year with the uh, – uh, uh, the way you're coaching players today. Right. So, all right. So getting to practices, you know, uh, you know, what did your, what did your fall off season look like? You know, what was kind of a, a typical week for you guys? So what we do is usually have give them Mondays off cause we have to give them one day off a week. And uh, um, we start with our individuals, our individuals, we have eight hours a day. Uh, I mean, eight hours a week with them. We can only work 30 minutes a day with them. So, uh, um, it, you've got to schedule that deal out. And so it's kind of a unique story where we used to walk out there and we're going to do team de- – we're going to do individual defense, do team defense, and do individual offense, do team offense, and play an air squad. Right. Well, my baseball operations uh, guy is the best in the country. His name is Ryan Gaines, and uh, um, he, was on, he was on an app. He was on a board of an app called Teamworks. And everything we do when we communicate with the players goes through Teamworks. A text, a video, anything that we do goes through that Teamworks app. And so he was on that board, and the guy that invented the Teamworks app graduated from Harvard. And uh, uh, he, he, in his meeting, he said, these kids are only retaining six to ten minutes a day. And And some of them don't even have TVs. And so what we did from that point on was... We we went out, and I was going to do it last year, but I didn't want to do it at mid-semester, so I wanted to do it the whole year, so we did it this year. And uh, um, one of my old assistant coaches, Heath Autry, is at Corsicana, right. started it last year, and he played in the state championship. Yeah. Now, this practice I'm fixing to share with you. So what we do is we do it. We do an individual. It's six to eight. It's six to ten minutes. It, it takes about an you have 11 stations. So let's say we're doing individuals first. The middle infielders might be doing short hops. The third baseman might be doing slow rollers, getting around it, but they're not throwing. The catchers might be doing blocking drills or receiving drills. I might be hitting fungo to the first baseman. The pitcher's running over there going bag, 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 covering first. The outfielders might be doing uh, fly ball communication. After six minutes is up, they're going as fast as they can. After six minutes is up, you all meet at the OU, and we go into team defense. And we might just do one bunt coverage in team defense for six minutes. Then we go back into individual, where they might be doing something different than they did in the first individual. Then you go back to team for six minutes. You go back to individual for six minutes. Go back to team for six minutes. Go back to individuals. Then you give them a break for six minutes. Then you go back to team for six minutes. Go back to individuals for six minutes back until you go through 11 or 12 stations for six minutes apiece. 
and they're they're getting they're retaining faster. And I did not realize this till we walked into uh, 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 Arkansas and play Arkansas this fall. I, I thought in my heart, and by the way, these guys are responding, inner squad and stuff that we were doing. I thought in my heart, like, hey, this is working. But until we could see it in the game, well, we played Arkansas at a seven o'clock game on a Friday night. Wednesday, we went through a two. We went through an offensive station, two stations. One of them was called uh, Lightning BP. We put we split them up into two teams. We had the infillers. We had the infillers at their positions, outfielders at their positions. We had three guys around the rollaway cage, three guys that were on on uh, uh, soft toss right next to the field, then three guys in the cage. So they had ten minutes or twelve minutes. They hit when you're at when you're on the field, you got to hit every ball on the ground or a line drive. If you hit it in the air, you're out of the cage. Okay. All right. And the infielders, they turn double plays as it's going on. The outfielders are getting first steps and they're throwing it off to the to the uh, outside. Right. And it's, I mean, it goes as fast as you can. So a guy stays there and he keeps hitting line drives. You might go six or seven. If he keeps in there for six or seven or ground ball line drive, you know, and then the next guy gets in there until you go through 12 minutes, you rotate all the way through, you do both teams. Well, the next one was we did beat the infielders. You had to we brought five infielders in, two outfielders, and you had to beat the infielders on a two strike count. We put a put the machine on breaking ball machine, and uh, you have two swings with two strikes. You had to hit a line driver ground ball through the infield. It was just a battle round, and uh, um, the game wants you to feel sorry for yourself. Our first three or four hitters. They didn't make contact, or they fouled <laughs> off, and they were out, and they were their body language was horse shit. It was it was you know terrible, feeling sorry for yourself. And I stopped it, called everybody up. I said, "That's the way the game wants you to feel. It wants you to feel sorry for yourself. You're giving into the game. You got to show show stronger body language." So we did that on a Wednesday before we 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 left at two o'clock, showed up to Arkansas like six thirty, you know, or six o'clock. Got out there, took BP. And all of a sudden, there's like a herd of cows coming into that stadium. There were 8,000 people at Arkansas when we played them in that fall. Our first eight hits we had in that game were all with two strikes, and they were all smoked line drives. <laughs> so the retainment was there from our practices going six to ten minutes. That retainment was there in that two, two offensive drill from that deal. And it hit me like a right hook, and we continue to start doing that. You know, continue that process through the, you know, what was our abbreviated season. Right. So that's how I changed. Yeah. So I changed everything. So really, kind of catering to our kids the way we have the short attention span. Now, I'd, I'd love yeah. to see. I'd love to see you send me that. That way, you know, I can see the drills that you're doing, and especially what the what the team defense is for that next six minutes. Uh, yeah. So you know, it, it sounds like you know you found something different, and you're willing to adjust to the kids, which, you know, which makes a big difference. Um, now, what are some of the things that you guys do for culture, you know, culture building, you know, I, and I know what you said was a big one. You're going to recruit the right guy in the first place. Well, we, we make sure like our hashtag is hashtag compete. The C means championship standard. The O means O before you. The M means men mentality. The P means process. The next E means engage 
and the T means toughness, and the next E means energy. All right, so we get those kids up before every practice, and they've got to tell them they got to say what C means to them. Okay. And they got to say what O means to them, and we got them up to do that deal. And this is what's funny. You talk about retainment. All right. This is hilarious, and uh, so I'm I'm going to be the smart guy. We go we we go through the entire compete hashtag compete. We go through it. Some guys get up, so I have them take a test. And I had a C, an O, an M, a P, an E, a T, and an E. And I had it. What what is this? All right. I said you got two minutes to take this test. So I get everybody spread out in the locker room. Click on it. Let's go, boys. Boom, two minutes. I had them come up, turn their test in. I took one guy that was from the audience, which was our catcher at the time. He 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 just takes one test out, and he goes, all right. He he says, what C mean? He picks a guy at the audience. He, the, the guy says, championship standards. Good. We got the first guy. All right. Pick another guy. He goes, oh, oh, before you. All right. Then he picks our starting shortstop, the third one, M. Our, our starting shortstop, he was a senior, been here for three, been here for three years. He goes, I have no idea. Oh, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, I want to get mad and blow up, but I'm the one that tested them to see their see if they're retaining stuff or not, right? So what I did was I backed off and kept going to see it. It was just hit or miss, man. I'm like, all right. You've seen the movie Focus with Will uh, uh, Smith, right? Yes. And uh, he's he's got the uh, he's betting the four million dollars on picking a guy on the field. Well, that day he was looking. He's seen number fifty-five everywhere. Number fifty-five everywhere. Well, I told I walked into our clubhouse. Guy said, "I want you to put that above the urinals. I want you to put it in the shower. I want you to put it in the dugout. I want you to put it on every wall. What hashtag compete is like? So everywhere they see it, they see it. Right." Two days later, I give them a test. I give them one minute, and it was they passed with flying colors. No different than what I did with the pitchers. So what I did with the pitchers were I videoed every arm exercises, put it on Teamworks. Okay. I videoed every drill, put it on Teamworks. I videoed every bullpen, put it on Teamworks. So if they're at home during Christmas when they've been just playing catch and they're going to do their throwing program, I give it to them on a piece of paper. They go, man, I forgot that one arm exercise I was supposed to do. Well, I go, they go to their phone, look on Teamworks, go to the video. It's there for them. It gives them the, the set and the rep, and it, and it shows them how to do the exercise Now, do video. Now, now, when you started Teamworks, did you have to search? Because I do the same thing. Everything I send the kids, everything in practice is a video of the drill. Did you have to search those drills, or did you just say – we're going to video these each one the way I want to do it. And then that's how we're going to send it. Or, or was it kind of a combination of both? No, I mean, I'm, I mean, I've evolved over learning the drills that I do, you know, over looking at guys that are in the, in, in the programs, you know, of, uh, uh, of who they are. I mean, I've got drills for arm exercises, pitching drills to, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you're doing mechanics and you're talking about mechanics and I have a 10 step drill system that teaches you one step at a time, but you do it backwards. You do it from the finish to the beginning. And I think you learn faster. Personally, I'm not the best pitching coach there ever was out there and never claimed to be. All I want to do is make sure that he can repeat his delivery. And this is the fastest way I know 
to get those guys to repeat their delivery and how they feel. And so, like, Bart, you you might have a kid that might only need number seven drill and number four drill and number three drill. Right. And it's like, it's like you diagnosed what he needs in his delivery mechanically, mechanically. And that's what he does because there's, there's several different ways you got, you talk about mechanics repeat, you talk about their effort, you talk about the game management, you talk about uh, their presence and you've got to teach. If you're asking that guy to go out there and perform in a game, You've got to teach these guys how to perform. And you do it by no different than just acting and teaching them a, a routine. And they stick by that routine no matter good or bad. Now, you can adjust the routine as he, as he gets through it. You, you evaluate, hey, he did this this week. He did this this week. What are we going to learn this week, his next performance? And so you adjust as we go through that. Right. And And – the next question, you, you've you already talked about this a lot. You know, how do you integrate competition into your practice? I, you know, the bullpen one is a great one. My son does something similar. He actually, you know, plays pig with the two pitchers in the bullpen. But uh, what are some other things that we could use that you're, that you're using? Uh, so, some of the things that we do on a daily basis is uh, we'll, we'll – uh, uh, everything is – if it's ground balls, we put them in – we put ground balls, line drive, we put them in three groups of three where they're still a team, three groups of three, and everything that they do is recorded. And I'm going from their locker, going from the way the field looks, going the way they dress, going, I mean, all those things are graded day in and day out. I mean, it's graded, and, and you got to have discipline to do it. And you've got to be able to have that relationship and go, hey, man, why you got your hat on backwards or hey why are you wearing your pants like that that ain't that ain't our standard right that you're wide you're wide in the plate man you got to have your your priorities that you stick by and no different than game that's how you make those guys competitive you you we talk about winning but winning is only a result of living in the process pitch to pitch right now what and what is your daily throwing routine like? So in other words, I, you know, I'm one of your pitchers, I'm, or, or or even just a regular position guy. You know, how how am I going to uh, start off throwing for today's practice? So what we're going to do is uh, uh, going to do your arm for pit. We'll do pitchers first. What we're going to do is do our arm exercise first, arm exercise first. Then we're going to go into just catch play, and our catch play might have, let's say, Joe, Frank, and Tom. They're, they're out there in the outfield where they might have two or three different drills that they're just going at catch play. Right after running stretch, they're going into catch play. And they're going to go through those drills just in catch play every day. All right? Where the everyday players are going to get with their team. They're going to get with their catchers, their infielders, their outfielders. They're going to go through their arm exercises first. They're going to go arm stretch, arm exercises, and go in their position catch. Whether it's uh, 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 coach overcast or catching coach, whether it's doing uh, feet work through the uh, with medicine balls or uh, and then going into throwing or going to uh, uh, four corners or going into short hops to four corners or the outfielders going into putting their hat in front of them doing one hop drills going into long right. toss to keep that stamina keep that stamina stamina going and that's the way we do it almost daily okay all right and and now you know 
you're probably one of the best pitching coaches in the country. I know you just didn't say that. You said you weren't a while ago, but what's a what's a typical bullpen for you guys like? Uh, you could do you take just a day, or or you know, tell us how much how many pins you throw. So what we we what we try to do, Bart, is let's say you're uh, let's let's just get, we'll we'll take a fall deal and then I'll take a spring okay. deal, and um, so the fall deals we th- we still throw them on a we we enter squad on a Tuesday a Friday a Saturday Sunday just no different than we would during the spring, so let's say you throw on a Friday, all right mm-hmm. you're and you you might have we might have five guys throwing on that Friday because I'm not going to throw them over two to three innings in the fall. Right. All right. So Monday's their day off, and what they'll do is they'll throw their bullpen on Tuesday. They'll play light catch on a on a uh, on a Wednesday. Uh, Thursday they'll throw a, a flat ground or half mound, a touch and fill, and go through their mental routines when they're doing it. Their breath. They're wrap the rubber off the same way. Uh, whatever it may be, then they throw their two innings. Next day is if they can play long toss. They'll play long toss. Sunday will be their drill day where they're going to go through the drills that are going to keep them repeating their delivery. Okay. You know, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, one knee kick over the PVC pipe, whatever it may be, into long toss. And then their Mondays are day off, Tuesdays are pin, and just like it's Groundhog Day. So, <laughs> so when we go into the spring, early spring, we kind of do the same thing. But I've adjusted like this guy's my Friday night starter. This guy's my Saturday night starter. This guy's my uh, Sunday starter. This guy's my Tuesday starter. Then I have another starter or one or two. Like this year, we had six, and I would start those guys, split those guys up on either a Tuesday or a Sunday. And what I would do was no different. I would they would throw like a, a Friday night starter throw on Tuesday, a Saturday starter throw on. Uh, uh, Wednesday, a uh, Sunday started throwing Thursday, a uh, 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 Tuesday started throwing Saturday. And so we kept those guys in a 30 pitch bullpen. It's 10 fastballs, uh, all out of the, we might throw, we might throw all the stretch or all the windup, 10 fastballs, uh, get kind of loose and throw fastballs to targets and then go fastball, breaking ball, fastball, changeup. If they got a slider, then we have, we have the changeups and have the, uh, uh, breaking balls and making, you know, 30 pitches within that. The relievers, they're different. So if we play a Tuesday game, they're going to throw a flat ground or they're going to throw a mound like 70% out of the stretch. Uh, called, we call it 666 or 888. And they're going to throw a bullpen, six fastballs out of the stretch, fastball breaking ball for six or fastball changeup. Everything works off the fastball and the arm speed of of the fastball. Right. And then when we go to, then when we go to Friday, we're going to throw our pins with our relievers. If I use you on a Friday or a Saturday, then you throw it again on Tuesday to try to keep those guys going. If we don't use them that week going prior, then they'll throw on inner squad on Wednesday. So um, we try to keep those guys as much rep as we can or face live competition as much as we can. This year was a little bit different for me that I made them throw live BP for the first time. Okay. And it really helped their, it really helped their effort level because I, what I think got, how I think guys hurt their arms are is because of effort level. Right. Because they try to, they try to throw too fast 
or try to make the breaking ball too nasty, and they muscle up, they get out of control, and they lose control. The great pitchers can get in control zero to five pitches. The good ones five to ten, the not good ones from ten on. <laughs> most of the time they're out of the game because of that one yeah. pitch, trying to strike that guy on that one pitch. You know, no different than the guy getting hurt, the hamstring, like you got a man on first and third with one out. He hits the ball in a deep shortstop. He's running down first base. He's just trying to keep the double play, trying to get not doubled up so that run could score. He blows his hamstring out. We've seen it millions of times. Yeah. And the same thing happens with a guy that blows hurts his arm. I'm not saying there's not any validity and overuse and poor mechanics as there is. But a lot of times it's from a guy overthrowing and overcompeting. Right. Now, how do you how do you you might not have very many of these guys, but how do you work around, you know, two-way guys? Oh, two-way guys are really really special <laughs> because what we what we do is we, we if if he's a reliever, we're going to do the same thing with the relievers. It's going to be Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Just throw lights, probably six, six, six. He will not take infield. He will not take infield. As a starter, he will not take infield. Now, the only time he could take infield in practice and get his reps in in practice if uh, uh, if he's like a starter, like a Friday starter or a Tuesday starter or, or a Friday starter or a Saturday starter or a Sunday starter or a Tuesday starter, then we'll work that, that uh, ground ball session somewhere in there, somewhere in there, on the day before he throws his bullpen or the day at maybe the day after it just depends on how his arm bounces back. Cause you got to know who the kid is and he's got to communicate with you how his arm bouncing back. And as you go through the season, he might not be in any ground ball deals just depends on how important he is as a starter or a reliever. Right. Now, um, you know, off the field, you know, do, do you do any personal development with your players off the field? Oh, I mean, yeah, we, we do. You know, we try to give them, you know, we have a new deal in Power 5 schools uh, called Care and Raw Raw where we have to give them 14 days off. Every time we ask them to go somewhere, it counts It counts against us a little oh, bit. Wow. But, we, you know, we try, to, we try to take them to the children's home. We try to make sure they go to uh, read at elementary schools and those things. I mean, the community to us is – is vital because, you know, we're trying to build a community that when they come to the baseball field, they get the Disney effect. They get, wow, I want to go back to that game and watch them play. Right. I want to, I want to drive hours to watch these guys play because they play with so much passion and they're in the game. The funny thing about baseball is, is I'll never forget coach Garrido walking in there. The first, first, before our first game, he said, guys, all you guys love me today. <laughs> But, to, but tomorrow you're not going to like me because I'm going to make a lineup out. Yeah. And what your row is is what you're given that day. So what your thought is and your response is very important. You might not like it, but your response has to be, I'm going to pull – if I'm a third baseman and I'm not starting today, I'm pulling for that third baseman. I'm going to get that synergy and I'm going to pull for that guy. It's a lost art and it's really hard to do. And it was kind of funny. The very first time I'd seen it uh, this year was in the no hitter that Dane Acker threw against LSU. I it, it made our team so much better because everybody in that dugout, from the from the nutritionist to our trainer to me to an assistant coach to the bat boy, everybody was into every pitch. Right. It was like they were on they were on 
they were on the edge looking down going, all right, let's go, baby. You know, and it, it made our team better. Right. Yeah, and that's that's a special thing. I mean, and that's that's tough at, at any level, high school or college, to have everybody into the game and everybody pulling for that one guy. Uh, that I've seen I've seen a lot of it the other way also. Um, now, are you intentional on developing your your coaches to be head coaches? Well, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. You know, like we what what I'll do is is uh, um, I'm not always the one to talk to them unless I have got something very important to say, like Coach Van Hook, he, he's going to take the day. He's going he's gonna to talk to the team, and he's going to go through it and talk to them. Right. Um, another, thing we do, another thing we do to build teams, if you have locker rooms, it's really, it's really unique. And uh, um, I'll share it with you. It's a, so you have a locker room. What, what kids, they're not really worried too much about winning and losing. They're not. They worried about getting embarrassed and getting ragged by their peers in that locker yeah. room. So what I'm what I make those guys do before practice, I we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna skid it out to where we have two guys are gonna sing. They're gonna they're going to uh, uh, sing their v- favorite genre <laughs> and they're gonna lip, lip lip sync it in front of their teammates. They're gonna dress up like in character <laughs> and they're gonna get in there and sing because they want to feel comfortable around their peers. And so no different than that head coach, me helping those guys, anytime I have a chance and opportunity to let assistant coach speak to the media or a radio show, if they want, you know, I try to let those guys evolve into that deal. And I'm going to, I'm going to let them, I'm not going to sit there and hover and micromanage those guys. And I'm never, ever going to go, what in the hell are you doing with that in front of a player? Right. Because once they see that, once you, once they see that and berate that coach and berate that kid in front of, in front of the other kids, they, they see that stuff faster than we do. Yeah. And so we really stay away from that. Our body language has got to be in our body language and our energy has got to be as strong as what we're asking those players to do. And if they don't want to do it, then, they're not going to be around very long. I, I think that's the best answer I've heard on that, Skip. Uh, what what are some what are some things that you found uh, to be more efficient, maybe in practice, uh, things like that? Some things that save time. I know the new app that you are using. You know, it seems like that's saving you some time. The six minute, six to ten minute deal is a life. I mean, it's a it's a deal where it's it just hits you right in the face, man. Um, we have a tempo game that we play, um, it's kind of funny. We, we started it too. We started it. I, I did it a long time at Navarro and, uh, um, we started making them, uh, if they made an error or if they made a mental mistake, we'd sit, switch sides, erase the number of outs and you, you, they pay a penalty for winning and losing. And so, uh, what you do is you go through that deal and you play one or two innings and you, what you do is you, you kind of separate like, this first inning, we're going to, we're going to try to start early. We're going to try to get on the board early. We got to, or we got to set the tone early. We we have the defense out there. We'll throw it, and you got two pitches to put the ball in play. And what you're trying to do is make sure that we reward those guys for everything they do. Not if they put the ball in play. If they put if they make two strike contact, it's don't go by batting average. Don't go by this or that. 
go by a quality at bat right. and really, really hammer quality mm-hmm. at bat and really hammer quality performance. And it might be as far – I've told a guy, and it's it's made us a lot better and it made him a lot better. I've told us a guy in a loss at, at, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the game, and I told him, I'm like, at least you had the guts to succeed, to fail, that you give up the home run. You threw it in there. You had the guts to fail. Right. And you, you gave. I'm, I wouldn't want anybody else out there, but you. You know, and and we don't. We might not feel that way at a lot of times, but we've got to. It's easy for me to say that, and sometimes it's hard to live. But if you look and you're consistent with how you talk to the team, I got I got a deal called Bo Freeman, and and what it is is it's uh, uh it starts with the the B. How do we play against the ball? Do we play against the opponent when they're ragging us, or do we just play against the ball? The ball tells us what to do. What were our offensive quality at bats? Did we win? Did we win the uh, uh, free base war? You know, like base on balls hit by pitches. Right. Did we execute? Did we communicate in all situations? Did we execute the routine plays? Did we adjust to the pitcher? You know, I go through that chart right after the game. Right after the game, I'll go through that chart real quick. It was funny, my first year when I went through it, if we won the free base and we had more quality at bats, it didn't matter how many runs we gave up, we won. Right. Because if you win on the mound, your win for you is hitting the target two or three times, throwing strikes. Now, the first three pitches, I'm going to throw two strikes. Now, the first three, you got to simplify the game in the highest pressure situation as you can. You got to simplify it. To be as like, I'm just going to throw the ball down the middle of the plate knee high. Right. If you're expecting that, if you're expecting that guy to go, I'm going to put it in that little bitty spot right there. I'm not saying there's guys that can't, can't, can't do it and can do it. But if you're expecting that guy to do it, you better practice it. Right. And and pretty much everything you've talked about, Skip, has been process rather than results. And you know, shoot, it's been excellent. All right, so almost done. So lightning round here, real short answers. Um, what's the what's the latest or last thing that you learned that you're really excited about, technology wise? Rap okay. Soto. All right. Yeah, we're we're thinking about buying that. That's that's the uh, next thing on the on the list. All right. Um, what's the thing that you do in practice that your players really love? In other words, if they were to run practice, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh. Six to ten minute uh, drills. Okay. The offense to uh, individual to uh, team. Okay. All right. So, what is something that you believe in that other coaches may disagree with you with? Say, hey, no, you, you know, you're doing it the wrong. And I kind of heard it a little bit in your BP. You know, ground balls, line drives. So, I, but I'm not. You know, you you can use whichever one you want. I would I would say uh, uh, building relationships. Okay. I don't think I don't think enough coaches out there understand. They think he's just a player, and not and not about building relationships. And I'll explain why. Right. So, if we came to your practice, what are the three things that would stand out? What are the three things I would notice right off the bat? Discipline, the way they dress, and the energy that they have uh, in the communication. And you gave us a couple of these already, but what's your favorite favorite books right now? Uh, the Positive Dog by John Gordon, uh, Traveler's Gift, 
by Andy Andrews, um, Golf Sacred Journey by David L. Cook. They made a movie called Seven Days in Utopia. Okay. It's a every coach should have every parent. The book is totally different than the than the movie. The movie's more about um, the 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 parents living the dad living through the kid. Okay. But the book is about teaching. So uh, uh, I would say I would show that movie. And when I I'd br- I'd bring the whole team in with their parents and I would show them the movie and I'll explain to you why at the end. Okay. So that's powerful. Huh? All right. Uh, you know, I appreciate you being on. It was, it was awesome. And I just want you to know how proud we are. You know, all the guys I talked to from, uh, you know, playing in the past and everything else and what you've done and, and uh, anytime we can get you to come and speak, you know, you're, you're more than welcome. Cause this was, uh, this was something else. I appreciate it, Skip. Yeah, well, it's, it's good. I, I mean, I love uh, uh, talking to coaches and, and, I mean, I can come speak whenever, but you know, right during the end of deer season, it's important <laughs> to me because when. So, uh, I mean, I'll try to get down there next year and, and speak to y'all for sure. You know what I was telling you about that was really powerful is Coach Greedo called me um, in the fall when I got the job. He said, uh, in, and I can tell you this story because it's, it's dear to my heart. He said, "Hey, I'm going to go speak to this group, and I think it was San Francisco University." He said. I want them to see how important you think they're going to listen to me, how important the out is and uh, how, how, no, if you could win every game, would you? That's the question, Bart. If you could win every game, would you? That's what he asked me. He said, Skip, if you could win every game, would you? And I was like, yeah, I would. He said, the commitment level that you have to show, let's say you're doing a, you're, 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 you're two ho, you're five ho and you're seven ho. They're all taking a strike, and you're winning five to two, and they're zero for three in the seventh inning or sixth inning. They're zero for three, and they're up there two zero, and they take a ball right down the middle of the plate for a strike, and they get out there, so they go zero for three or zero for four or zero for whatever, and then they go to dinner with their mom and dad, and their dad's watched them play forever, and that kid, that kid's dad says, "Hey." Joe, why did you take that your last at bat? Why did you take that 2-0 fastball right there? If the kid goes, you're probably right, Dad. But if the kid goes, Dad, I was in a in a deal where we had to take a strike. Right. 2-0. If he says that, he's committed on winning Gavin every game, would you? That commitment level even is even with the parents. And you've got to make sure, even with the parents, because I hear it all the time from high school coaches about parents. Yeah. You've got you've got to do your due diligence to share them, share with them, and when you're one on one or you're, and be consistent with it when you're talking to them about how number one, the game's not fair and doesn't care how you feel. Number two, how hard the game is to play and the failure rate. What you're wanting to do is you're teaching those people a life lesson how to deal with failure right because because we know we know we can still fail but our attitude is going to determine our response and our attitude's got to be strong so our response is strong and i appreciate it bart i really do it's a uh, been fun and and uh 
and I'm th- I'm just thankful to be around uh, players like you and the guys I got to play with. I'm just a no different than anybody else, man. I like to hunt and fish and do what I do and teach players and build relationships. Yeah, and, and, and I'm still waiting for you to come down so I can take you out on my boat and, and take you fishing. Well, I want to I want to catch one of those bull reds. <laughs> All right, and hey, hey, we can give it a shot. Well, you're, I mean, you go fishing every day. We, we ought to be able to do it. <laughs> that's that's a little bit different. That that's uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm catching stuff in about six inches of water, so those those bull reds aren't in there very well. I love, I love that. Yeah, I hey, I got I got All I right. got one skip story for you, but I know I know you've right. uh, you've heard this one from me many times, but it kind of shows the the how you were kind of wired a little bit different, and how other the important things were important to you. And uh, we were, we were, you know, doing what college guys do. We were at a, we might, I'm saying most of the team was at a party and uh, we had invited you. And I think you told us, you know, maybe I'll show up later. You know, I got to go hunting. And, you know, we just kind of laughed it off and like, what's this guy talking about? But sure enough, you know, you show up and a couple of guys tell me, Hey, Skip's here. I said, Oh, great, man. You know, let me go see what he's doing. They go, no, you don't understand. Skip's here. He's in the garage. I said, why is he in the garage? And, uh, you know, <laughs> they said, well, he's in there with a bunch of birds. I said, what are you talking about? Because we're, you know, the guys that I hung out with were from California. So, you know, they're a little bit yeah. different dudes. But anyways, I go in there, and sure enough, you're in there, you know, taking feathers off of, what, white wings? Because you had, you, you had one yeah. out. You know, you wanted to still be part of the team. You wanted to you yeah. wanted to do the things that you know a leader does, but you still had things that you were obligated to, and you weren't going to get sidetracked. So that's kind of to me that's kind of that's kind of Skip Johnson, you know, in a nutshell. You know, driven, you know, doing what he's supposed to be doing and everything else, and and it didn't matter to you, you know, that we were maybe not doing the right things that we should have been doing, but you were going to. I just wanted to make sure that I cleaned those birds and make sure you guys didn't get any fights that I, I couldn't get in there. <laughs> That's right. That's good, man. I really appreciate it, man. You bet. Appreciate